Chapter Four of The Princess and the Ploughman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Princess and the Ploughman by Florence Morse Kingsley. Chapter Four If thoughts are winged things, more mysteriously alive, more subtly powerful than any exploited energy in the universe, then the action of the girl who was coming toward the man needs little explanation. She was coming to him as the bee had flown to its clover. He saw her when she was yet a little way off, and waited quietly for her approach. It seemed to him he had known all along that she would come, that he had already watched her unnumbered times coming to him across the fields, her rich beauty glowing flower-like against the soberer tones of earth and sky. She was a part of his landscape, as the great, white, deep-bosomed clouds were a part of the July heavens. She belonged to him as the bee belonged to its clover. As for Mary, she was wondering confusedly why she had come, and, still wondering, she drew yet nearer and looked up into his face. "'You wanted me?' he asked confidently. "'Yes,' she answered. He waited for her to speak further. Then, seeing that her face was clouded and tremulous like a child's on the verge of tears, he said, very gently, yet with the authority of a strong man, "'Tell me what troubles you. Come, we will sit down under the tree yonder.' "'How can I tell you?' she said. Then, forlornly, "'You could not help me.' "'Yes,' he said. "'I can help you. "'That is why you came to me. "'I can help you, and I will.' "'She remained silent for a time, "'under the shelter of the wide-spreading oak, "'which cast tremulous green shadows on her face and dress. Watching her unobtrusively, he saw the painful swelling of her white throat and the unshed tears shining on her lashes. The sight roused him to vague anger. Involuntarily, his sinewy brown hands clinched themselves. Her eyes turned to him at last. "'If I only knew you,' she murmured, you look so strong and kind. In reality, he answered, you do know me. 
His eyes held hers for a long minute. Now you shall tell me what troubles you, he finished quietly. It is not, she hesitated, like any other trouble in the world. It is about Felice. You mean Miss Vivian? Yes. She sighed and looked away from him across the fields. I love her, she added simply. And doesn't she love you? he asked with a slow smile. Oh, yes. She loves me as much as I love her, but... He waited patiently for her to go on. I haven't anything to build a college with except Aunt Lydia's money, she said. And I can't have that unless... I'm afraid I don't quite understand, he said, with careful politeness. Who is Aunt Lydia? Aunt Lydia has been dead for fifteen years, she told him. She left all her money to me, to do as I liked with, if I would do as she liked. How did you get it? Aunt Lydia was never married, but she believed every woman should marry. She said that unless I, that I must, she said that you must marry or lose the money. Who told you about it? No one. I guessed it. Or perhaps your thoughts came to me before you did. How can thoughts go anywhere? He shook his head gravely. I can't tell you that, he said. But they do, sometimes. Especially when one is thinking intently about another person. And were you thinking about me? I was thinking of you as you came across the field. I had been thinking of you as I worked. She was silent, gravely considering his reply. Well, then, if you know about Felice and about me, and about Aunt Lydia's will, what ought I to do? He blushed stealthily under all his tan. I don't think I understand about Miss Vivian, he said at last. What has she to do with this? Mary flashed an astonished glance at him. If my thoughts had really come to you, she said, you would have known that Felice is the only person in the world I have ever loved. Then her eyes clouded with fear and regret. Felice says that I ought to marry somebody, so that I can have Aunt Lydia's money to build a college in Hawaii with. Aunt Lydia was interested in Hawaii, and if I, if I don't have the money, it is all to go to build a college for women there. But Felice and I, if we had the money, we would build the college and stay together always. We promised, you know, and, and it would break my heart to leave her. 
he trembled a little under the impact of a sudden wild desire i don't care at all for the money she was saying sadly i can work and earn all that i need i care only for felice and for all that we have planned to do together she glanced at him doubtfully i wonder why i have told you this i ought not to have told anyone on the contrary he said you have told me because i am perhaps the only person in the world who can help you he drew a deep breath there is only one thing wanting to put everything right he went on deliberately you must marry me she shrank away from him as if frightened at his bold suggestion oh no she said faintly i couldn't do that i shall never marry anyone miss vivian knows who i am he went on thoughtfully at least her father does i am a thoroughly respectable farmer quite independent of anyone's opinion and free to do as i please and i shall be glad to serve you in this difficult matter of the will in the only way that a man can serve you effectually and i ask nothing in return she was looking at him doubtfully do you mean that you would stay here and let me go away with felice and build the college she asked yes but would i be obliged to wear a wedding ring and be called by your name i i don't even know your name my name he told her gravely is hugh ghent you may leave the ring in my keeping and bear the name that pleases you best why she asked after a long silence do you wish to do this for me i shall perhaps tell you when you have asked me for the third time he said his blue eyes meeting hers steadily at present you would not be interested to know but if i do not ask you a second time i shall never tell you she pondered his reply in puzzled silence after all she said it makes no difference you will marry me and you will expect nothing from me you said that you would ask nothing i said that i would ask nothing if i am ever to receive anything at your hands it will be because you give it to me of your own free will i could give you money she said meditatively then drew back frightened before the sudden blaze of anger in his eyes a man he said does not accept money from the woman he do not say that to me again mary i will not she promised breathlessly but would it be right and 
kind for me to to go away and have everything I wanted and leave you here without anything? I should want to be sure that you, that I, I could never leave Felice. You must understand that, she finished. I understand, he assured her patiently. You will marry me merely to secure your fortune. I shall be no worse for the transaction, and you will be infinitely better off. It is quite simple, is it not? Any man ought to be willing to perform so slight a service for a woman. She eyed him questioningly. It sounds like a small thing to do, she admitted. But I am afraid it isn't really. And Felice will scold me, or laugh. She often laughs at me. And I think she supposes that I do not know it, but I do. He smiled. And now you are laughing at me, she cried indignantly. But I do not matter, he reminded her. You do not care what I think. No, she agreed. There is really no reason why I should care what you think, and yet... She gazed at him with a child's frank curiosity. I can't help wondering why you are so... so kind to me. And that makes me care a little. And... and it was really very odd, when one stops to think of it, that I should have asked you. I mean that I should have told you, not knowing you not even knowing your name. You said you were thinking about me when you saw me coming. Why should you have thought about me at all? I will tell you some time, he said. But first, I should like to know why you came. You are coming to speak to me? She shook her head. I was thinking of how I dislike men, she said, simply particularly one man, and, as I was thinking, I just walked along, and presently I saw you. I didn't mean to speak to you. His eyes shone with a sudden splendour of blue light. I was thinking of how, where your delicate feet had touched the earth, green herbage flowering sprang he said in a low, shaken voice. I disliked to cut out the weeds. They are really flowers. Yet it had to be done. She was looking sweetly puzzled. Oh, she said at last. You remembered my quotation from Hesiod's Theogony. It was Aphrodite whose delicate feet touched the earth, not mine. And what was it that tracked her steps, he entreated. I haven't been able to recall the second line. Love tracked her steps, quoted Mary softly. And enchanted longing pressed hard after. Then, for the first time in her life, 
she blushed divinely. He waited till the exquisite aurora had faded, half averting his eyes, as if the sight of it were too holy for the eyes of a man. I, I must be going, stammered Mary, a new and painful self-consciousness tingling her downcast face. Felice will be wondering what has become of me. Stay with me a moment more, he begged. You will always be with Felice after this, and I, you know, shall be here. There is the marriage to be spoken of. The sooner it is over, the better for you, and for me it does not matter. He drew a little farther away, and his voice steadied to its usual calm, even monotone. I will make all necessary arrangements at once, and tomorrow? Will tomorrow be too soon? No. Mary's lips formed the monosyllable faintly. Must I tell Felice? she asked. Why, certainly, he answered coolly. Miss Vivian is the one chiefly concerned in the matter, I should say. Bring her with you tomorrow. I will provide a second witness. And if... if I should... Oh, I don't know what Felice will say. I am afraid I have done a very... It is all quite right, he said, with no hint of anything save strong kindness in his tone. It isn't usual, I'll admit. I have asked you to marry me simply to extricate you from a very unpleasant dilemma, and you have, very wisely, decided to accept my service. It will all be over in a matter of half an hour, and then you will be quite free to follow your own wishes. That is all there is to it. She drew a deep breath. Put in that way, she murmured, it sounds very, very, very matter-of-fact, he finished for her. He was watching her carefully as he spoke. You may put it to Miss Vivian in just that way. She will, of course, make such inquiries as seem best with regard to my general character and eligibility. By that I mean my freedom from any previous matrimonial bond. It will be quite legal and regular, I assure you. Your guardian will be perfectly satisfied that the conditions of the will have been met. She was looking at him with a new anxiety. I forgot, she said, that after this, this marriage, you will not be free any longer. Suppose you should... She paused, obviously searching for the right words. He waited patiently for the end of her halting sentence. If you should sometime wish to marry someone else, someone you could love and who loved you, what would you do? I will let you know when that time arrives, he told her gravely. In the meantime, 
do not give yourself the slightest uneasiness with regard to it. That, you will remember, is my affair. Then I do not have to think about you at all. She spoke with an air of mingled relief and resentment. And you, you will not be obliged to think of me again. You have put it precisely, he said cheerfully. I beg that you will not, after tomorrow, think of me again, and I? I shall think of you if I choose, she cried. Why should I not think of you? I shall be forced to think of you when I am very happy with Felice, you know, because it will be to you that I owe it all. It would be very ungrateful of me never to think of you. Of course it will be different with you. There will be no reason why you should think of me unless you... Again he waited imperturbably for the conclusion of her remark, and, when it was not forthcoming, he smiled a little, then sighed. She had turned her back upon him and was walking slowly away. I forgot, she said, presently, without turning her head, to ask you at what time you... I mean, when shall we... It must be at noon, he said meditatively, when the shadows are underfoot. Yes, let it be at this time tomorrow. And the place? It shall be wherever you please. She gazed about her with wide grey eyes. At the blue sea, veiled in purest violet, where the sky stooped to clasp it, at the distant dunes shining in the sun, at the peaceful undulations of field and meadow, and the young corn springing at her feet. Why should it not be here? she stammered. He bared his head to the strong sunlight, it shall be here, he said. End of chapter 4 Recording by David Granville Young